Hey all, welcome to Geek Freaks. I am Frank, and today I'm joined by Brian Hawkins. How are you doing, Brian? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I love having you around. Can you tell us a little bit about Carsis? Yes. Okay, so um, Paul Carsis, uh, he is a paranormal investigator, um, and he's, you know, he's into the occult and everything. Uh, in this particular story, uh, where we're being introduced to the to this main character, um, finds him in Thompson Pass, Alaska, which is um, a real place, and it's supposed to be one of the snowiest places um, on Earth, actually, uh, especially in the United States. And so um, he's there, um, he's been hired uh, by a particular person to find a missing, to find a missing relative. And he ends up um, in the midst of a horrific, um, brutal killing of the person who hired him and so he of course um with the local authorities is a suspect um as being a new person you know with the local townies um but there's uh a, a darker in a darker side to everything that's happening um that borders and 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 brings on the paranormal which is his forte and so while he's also a suspect to the authorities he's investigating trying to figure out what happened to his client um, and if it's connected to the missing relative that he was originally there to find. What motivated you to write this new book? So what's interesting about this is this um, has been in the works for, man, about two, three, pre-pandemic, for sure. Oh, wow. um, I, I start, yeah, I, I, start, I start to lose count with, yeah. with years with the pandemic. So I know it's, it's, it's either post-pandemic or pre-pandemic. And I know that um, Nathan Kelly and I, um, have been working on this for several years, definitely again pre-pandemic. Um, and it's gone through different phases. At one point, it even had uh, a potential publisher. Um, and you know, we did we decided to hang back some, uh, look at the industry. You know, I got really busy with editing, with freelancing, um, and then with you know, Scott with with, with Black Cotton, and he was doing doing Drexler, um, which eventually landed on Scott as well. Um, and so it was it was really a fun story to tell. Um, at that point, we uh, we we edited it, we we revised it. Uh, and then what ended up happening is um, a few months back, several months back, um, when I was beginning to uh, develop and 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 then uh, go toward branching out and launching Black Trauma. Um, I reached out to him like, "Hey, you know, we we have like uh, this great paranormal investigator horror story here. Let's do something with it. Here's yeah. what I'm planning for Black Trauma. I think that our character will fit perfectly in this horror, you know, universe." Um, and he was like, yeah, let's, let's do it. So uh, that's how Paul Carsis, uh, Carsis as a title, um, you know, became part of, of, of Black Trauma. You know, it's a very strong character. And I, I thought launching Black Trauma, having this um, Black character who is a paranormal investigator would, would be a great start. Speaking of black trauma, you talk about wanting to start this because you wanted to have creative control and independence. Mm -hmm. Why is that so important for a comic creator? Oh, well, the comic book industry, um, as much as I've been a part of it, it's always in flux. 
It's always mm-hmm. in flux. And more and more, I, I find that um, companies, and again, I say that with uh, recognizing, I'm, I feel very fortunate to have been a part and contribute all of the work or the company's work that I have, you know, it, I've, it's helped to grow me and uh, I've learned so much for, from so many people. Um, but I feel like a lot of times, more and more, you know, companies, even create their own, are becoming IP houses where, yes. um, you know, they are looking for that next step, the media. Like, what, what can I adapt this into, right? And so you end up having, while you're in control of the story, pretty much for the most part, you're not in control of what happens in the real world to your characters um, and to your the story that you're trying to tell. And with a with a with a higher focus on adaptation, you know what happens to just the publishing. Um, right. And at the end of the day, I want to tell these stories. And Creator Own Comics offers one of the best avenues and pathways to telling the story that you want to tell. Um, and you know, if you want to hire on, on an editor or a proofreader or, or et cetera, et cetera, you can. If you don't, you don't have to. Um, but at the end of the day, there's that flexibility, that there there is that versatility. Um, and uh, after freelancing as much as I as I have and you know, it's, I've always wanted to tell my, my own stories. And, um, and so I'm just at a point now where I'm just like, this is the most important thing to me as far as being a creator. So, um, while I love publishing houses, I respect them. Um, I would love to continue to work with them in some capacity. Um, you know, the most important thing is for there to be a vehicle like Black Trauma Productions for me to tell the story that I want to tell, how I want to tell them, and for them to, uh, for myself and my co-creators, my collaborators, to be able to uh, control the story, control the characters, control the narrative, and to control the IP. Very if well it was said. to be adapted, or if yeah. it's not even now. But that could be the focus, or that could not be the focus. It's up to you this time. Not outside yeah. sources. Yeah. Uh, speaking Absolutely. speaking of your past work, we have the Vineyard, Nottingham, and Black Cotton. What have you learned from those projects that you get to bring forward to Carsis? So, oh man, <laughs> a lot. Um, <laughs> let me start with let me start with Mad Cave, where Mad Cave, you know, be, um, they were going into the direct market through Diamond um, and on as the editor. And the first title that they were releasing was Battle Cat. And so, you know, I had the wondrous opportunity, like the great, incredible opportunity to work closely with Mark London and Chris Fernandez, who is now the publisher, and, and you know, in, in, in editing that book. And, you know, and since then, of course, Mad Cave has grown. And, and one of the uh, things that they allowed me to be a part of was uh, their, their their talent search. And the talent search brought forth eventually David Hosen and 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 Shane Volk, who brought us, you know, Nottingham. And so yeah. I remember, I remember reading the script, um, 
the first, the very first script. And I remember like just like, oh, another Robin Hood story. Okay, let me read this. And so I got to the sixth page, and I believe I told the story the exact same way. It, 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 because it's the sixth page. It was the sixth page, and I remember I paused, and I was like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> this isn't Robin's story. This is the sheriff. And it's something so simple that we flipped that we're like, oh my God, yes. And from that moment on, I was in love as an editor, as a fan. And what Mad Cave, um, you know, through through the Nottingham process, through all the process with all the different comics, you know, they they helped to grow me. Um, I, I I got to see firsthand the professionalism, um, the challenge of making sure that these scripts uh, were up to par, that the scripts like would go to the artist, um, you know, in in in, in the best version possible um and that's not to say that i had to do a whole lot too because there were some phenomenal writers and so i got to one of the biggest things i read a mark way article and it talked about um and it really affected me as an editor and a writer it talked about um the service of an editor is to serve the voice of the characters in the story and to support the writer script wise and I really took that to heart. And so it really taught me to take a step back as a, as a writer, as a creator, and to understand my role and to see the story for what it's supposed to be outside of myself, not try to make the story what I think it should be. Um, and that has really helped in how I write and, and how I look at story, the craft of, of storytelling in general, um, where, where I, I understand that you know, I play a very specific role that is... Um, limited and not in this power in in not overstepping that um and i've I've kind of taken that into everything that i write and create and what i even what i do in freelance so when it comes to black cotton um as as a writer i end up um you know i try to take a step back from the story and allow the story to be what it's supposed to be even outside of me you know, writing the story, you know, and listening to my co-writer, Patrick, having a conversation with him. With the Vineyard, it was the same way, you know. Um, I'm working with some uber professionals here and, you know, listening to, at the time, Mike Marks and and, and Ryan Carroll and, and and Teddy, you know, and, and, and we're, while I have all this freedom to create, you know, the nuances of how to construct this story uh, to fit what audience I want is there. So so I'm constantly being a learner. And I, I guess that's where I'm going with this, is being a learner while being a creator is very important. You can't feel or believe that you have arrived at anything. You know, you're always yeah. learning. What a skill, too. Actually, that might lean into you being a teacher as well. Like, that's such a skill that so many, <laughs> you know, they think they know what they're doing now, and they might learn something by accident and, and take those hard knocks. But to understand that you're going to learn something is a whole new scale. That's pretty amazing. Absolutely. <laughs> cool. Cool. So we're going to be following Paul Christ, uh, Carsis into the frozen North of Alaska. What made you think Thompson pass? Why did you choose this setting? So when Nathan, and I was talking about it, like we, it, it's funny because we both had our, our hearts set on snow. Um, yeah. 
So for some reason, like especially the horror story, a, a frigid, cold place, snowy place just feels like, like, like that perfect horror setting, right? Like yeah. I would love to see a screen movie in the snow. I'm hoping that Scream 7. That would be cool. Yeah. In like 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 in the snow during Christmas time or something, right? Like like that, you know, that cold setting lends very well towards horror and and you know the the darkness, you know, what what lurks in the darkness, that eeriness. Um so we once we decided snow is it for our setting, um we kind of Googled and researched like, you know. Where are the snowiest places at? And we wanted to be set in America. So, you know, Thompson Pass came up and, you know, we looked at pictures and we read about Thompson Pass. And so we were like, yo, like, we don't want him to live in Alaska, but like, think about this character that's out of place, that's planted right in a snowy, cold place. You know, know, the, the thing itself becomes a character. And that's what we wanted. Yeah, I never thought about how the snowy aspect and stuff like that really adds to the horror vibe. I'm thinking right away, blood really pops off of the snow color too. Like that red off the white, yeah. like that would look so good. Just a splash of blood. Like, Ooh, yeah. you catch that really good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you're, when you're diving into to writing um, a comic, this one or others, what are some of the processes you go through? Like from initial concept into it's on the page. Mm, so I have notebooks. I have a bunch of notebooks um, that I already jot ideas down. Those ideas um, eventually translate into. I love Google uh, Drive, so I have a mm-hmm. bunch of Google Docs, a bunch of folders, and so um, from the notebooks we go into the drive and then into the docs, and I begin to organize it in the form of like doing like a log line, uh, then doing a story slash synopsis, um, you know, in, in in prose basically. From that prose doc, it becomes a. Um, I create a new doc, a, a outline doc, where mm-hmm. I'm either outlining it in the form of like an actual breakdown where it shows page one, page two, page three, or page one through four, or um, like act one, and then I have like beats, and act two beats, act three beats. So it, it becomes like an outline. From the outline, I then go into scripting. Um, and the script, um, again, I'm a firm believer that that, that story have a life of their own so right. i'm always open to the fact that this script might not mimic might not be the exact replica of what that outline is that yeah. outline is just a blueprint it's a starting point um but when you get into script that story has a life the characters have a life the characters have a voice and sometimes you have to uh, go with what that story is is, is saying to do as opposed to what you want it to do. So I, I, I try to intuitively leave room for that, that uh, adjustment. That's my next question for you right there, actually, is how often do you think you're changing the story or Paul based off of how he's starting to breathe and come to life on the page? Um, I really think it's probably about a... If I'm going percentage wise, I would say that this probably um, the structure, the pacing of the story, I think pretty much usually remains the same, the pacing and the structure. Okay. But I think what happens 
I'm like with Eco 60 40. Um, 60 40, the outline remained, the 40% wow. might change. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's very close to to being even. It's, it's, it's close to being balanced. Is that I a fun so. process for you then, kind of discovering the story you didn't know you started off writing? Absolutely. That's one of the best things. Um, yeah. I think is one of the best things. That's a great question. Um, I, I'm not sure if I've ever been asked that question, but <laughs> yes, uh, that's one of the best things. I, I'm a big, you know, I'm a big reader, big TV, big movie guy. And so, you know, I love the reveal. I love how a story unfolds. Um, and so I think that's probably one of the things that I love most about writing is that while, even though I might know where I want the story to go, it's the journey that I'm yeah. on as the creative writer that new things are revealed to me as well. Yeah. So, yeah. So there's a part of you telling us a story. It's also a part of you guys, like you saying, hey, come check this thing out real quick. We got to see this and guiding us along as you're finding it out just ahead of us. Kind of a, yeah. it reminds me of like that substitute teacher move where they like read the book right before class and then all of a sudden they know what's going on right before the, te- the students do. <laughs> yeah, that's it right there. I love that analogy. That's it right there. Now, I'm, so I'm cool. assuming this is number one of many. We're talking about how the story changes and develops as you're ch- I'm sure you have that kind of end goal, what you want for the story. Mm-hmm. Are you like, that's hard set or are you willing to adapt? I'm willing to adapt. I am, yeah. uh, I am not, I'm not hard set. Um, and I feel like I have for the most part always been that way. Um, again, it's just something with me in the life of stories. I, I really do like, it might sound weird, but I, I feel like I have to honor, you know, that, that the story has a life. Mm-hmm. Um, an example that kind of, uh, reaffirms this is, I read an article about um, a long time ago about J.K. Rowling and how mm-hmm. she said that the story was telling her that Hermione and Harry should end up together. Um, and But she had already done the outline and so she said she, she forced the story to go the way that it did because this was her original plan. Hindsight, she said listening to the story. And that kind of reaffirmed um, how I feel about like, yeah, because as a fan of that series um, and as a creator and writer, I'm looking at the movies. I mean, I remember reading the book. I remember reading the book and I remember saying, oh my God, I know what this is going like. I felt it going in that direction where Ron was going to go dark and Hermione and Harry was going to end up together. I felt it like that's, wow, like, yes, that's where this is going. Yeah. And I wanted it. And then all of a sudden, it didn't happen. And I was, I felt slighted. I'm like, ooh, wait a second. What? He, he came back? No, Ron, I'm not supposed to come back. Everything has led up to this break in this friendship. And it's supposed to be a tragic break. And yeah. it's supposed to be this tragic final, final reunion. And you fix it within within three chapters right. fixed it within three chapters and so and so when, once he said that it kind of gelled with how i felt i'm like yeah i see exactly what you're talking about that is completely forced the story dictated this but you wanted that so yeah, brian you're, you're slightly blowing my mind here because now i'm thinking like 
yeah, the story is writing itself there. It would have been so easy to have that tragic story, the fallen brother, redemption at the last moment, Darth Vader-esque moment. I mean, it would have been so easy to go and it would have been clean. Dang, now I'm a little bit mind blown. <laughs> We're trying to figure out how to do like a follow <laughs> right? to this. We can't because the story's flawed. Oh my God. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I, did, I did think we were going Harry Potter, but we went Harry Potter anyways. That works for me. <laughs> there we go. I love HP. <laughs> well, you've been on this journey for a while now. I want to ask you, especially as somebody who's trying to share your knowledge with others, what is some advice you might give to somebody else who has that, that idea knocking around in their head? What's some advice you might have? Um, first thing, write it down and write it down, not in the sense of like, it has to look a certain kind of way, hmm. write it down. It does not have to be clean or it just has to be your raw thoughts. Um, once those raw thoughts get down on paper, you know, you can begin to like pick them apart, do something with them, connect, connect the dots. Um, a lot of times I feel like writers and creators like we get an idea that things have to look or be a certain way um, yeah. in order for them to come to life or to be produced or for them to be anything. And that's not true. Uh, you know, our thoughts are vast. And so, you know, getting those thoughts into book form is a, is, is a, is a streamlining process anyway. Uh, so whatever form you have to do to begin that process, just take it and allow yourself the, um, the ability for it not to be perfect. Yeah. It's okay that it's not perfect. It's not supposed to be. Um, so that's one of the major first steps, I think. Um, it's just get it down on paper, allow yourself to take that first step into the journey. And it kind of goes back to what you are saying before, where just put it out there and then let it kind of choose which way it needs to go. Don't try to force it into something that you might've been inspired by or try to stay away from that inspiration, try to stay... Just let it get out on paper. That way it could start forming its own life. That's really good advice. Like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Brian, where can people go to start getting their copy of Carsis? Kickstarter. Kickstarter, um, which is really the, the direct market for indie comics, I think. It, <laughs> it, it is now, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's such a great platform. Such a great platform. Um, we uh we're on Kickstarter. Um, we have about eight days, I believe, left on Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. Um, so if you if you type in or you search Carsis, it should come up. If you type yeah. in Brian Hawkins, it should come up. Um, so Kickstarter is the place. Yeah, we're good. Place to go. We're gonna have all the links in the description, guys. <laughs> so right now, get down there, start clicking away, follow up, and just follow Carsis. Follow Brian on his journey. What is the best social media platform you're on, Brian, so people can follow you there too? Oh, so I'm on uh, X, which was formerly known as Twitter. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm having a hard time thread. with it. <laughs> threads, <laughs> yeah, I'm at threads, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much if you type in Brian Hawkins right, so you'll find me. I'm going to have all you those links in the description me. as well, guys, so you guys can go ahead and start following up on those. I'm going to end with one thing. This is kind of somebody who I, I frequent Kickstarter, and I will say... This is a really okay. good sign as somebody who's a respect or responsible Kickstarter user. 606 backed. That's the most backed I've seen on anybody. That's impressive as heck, man. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's small flex oh, okay. right there. Right. That's pretty good. <laughs> that's a user. Oh, oh man. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right, guys, please. I want you to check out Carsis right I now. Did. Check out Brian Hawkins' work. Brian, thank you so much for joining me today, man. Uh, thank you for having me. It's been a blast. I've enjoyed this so much. Great questions. Great conversation. Real cool, man. Thank you. Thank you. All right, guys. We will see you next week. Make sure you follow everything in the description. Bye.